I uh, I was at the Brewers Twins game last night. Um, it was a good game, um, no matter who won or lost the game. Um, I'll let you know where my allegiances lie. Uh, else, uh, at other times, but um, I was talking with my friend. I went with, uh, and uh, what would your walk-up song be if you were, uh, you know, a pitcher coming out, getting ready, warming up, going out from the bullpen or or a starter, or uh, you know, if you're a batter um, going up to the plate, uh, what would your walk-up song be? I can start. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I told him. I told him mine would probably be. Um, uh, uh, do you believe in a thing called love by the darkness um, or Mr. Brightside uh, by the killers? Like something that like people like understand and then like can kind of like get a little bit of juice with um, and, uh, you know, kind of get the crowd into it. So. I like it. I like it. Um, Tara and Kelsey, we'll, we'll give people time to think. I don't know if you guys have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> say Tara you got anything oh my gosh no I'm like the one question I'm not prepared for I love music so it's so hard for me to choose like one can I do like a mashup of like five in a row one one. and it's only like a 10 second like part of the song yeah it's real short I'm a a classic rock guy so mine's gonna be ACDC back in black see you took mine that was my first initial gut thought I was like and then I was like I don't know if I'm cool enough for that so yeah, that was gonna be mine, and Kelsey, then I was you're like, "You're too young for that." That as your walk-up song. <laughs> but it's just it's classic. You just you have to. But I think if I was yeah. choosing a more updated song, quote unquote, um, "What Me Worry" by Portugal the Man has kind of got like a little like pep in its step enough that you're like, okay, you got like enough little like juicing up the crowd just a little bit without trying too hard because I just don't think that I'm cool enough for ACDC. Not yet. I would I would go with Van Halen Eruption. Okay. Yes. Another classic. Mm-hmm. I do Here, what'd you I, come up with? I would do like some country song that's like nice and easy, and then I'd get up to the plate and just hit home run. So people are like, oh, she's just only gonna get like a base hit and just wow the crowd I'd be like, oh wow, yeah. she's really good. So I don't know. I'm George Strait's just... my favorite country singer, so it'd be like oceanfront property or something like that. Very country. Okay, if you played it played it backwards, you'd run the bases backwards and get all your stuff back. Whatever works. <laughs> Whatever keeps the crowd into it. All for entertainment. Please. I so when I heard this question earlier. I couldn't think of one, but the song that got stuck in my head was Walking on Sunshine, which is just so out of left field and I love it. I love it. Everybody's yeah. got these like rock songs and I'm just walking on sunshine. <laughs> yeah. I like it a lot, Ariel. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Oh my gosh. I, I feel well, like that would you can definitely get the crowd into that one too. Yes. Where it's just like yes. Like everybody's hey, into go. it. Yeah. I think a Frank Sinatra song or something like that can always be good <laughs> on those walk up songs too. Just, yep. just get I real classy it. with it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of it. good options. Yeah. Well, all genres, yeah. There's a lot of good options. Yeah. We yeah. should uh, definitely have some walkout music today because we've got some heavy hitters on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Kelsey, Tara, and myself are joined by Chris, one of our founders, Kyle, our CEO and president, and Andrew, our customer strategy advisor, is back to continue our CIT origin series. I know on previous episodes, we discussed um, 
the early 80s, early 90s, our physical locations. And in this episode, we're going to deep dive a little bit into CIT's connection with manufacturing. And I know Andrew had some um, burning questions, so I'll just kind of throw it to you (laughs) and and you can kind of take it away from here. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, no, um, I uh, appreciate you guys coming back for, you know, third time around. But uh, so we talked about the, you know, the manufacturer's manual. Um, And was that, was that just like an industry? Like it was so you found it for, I was trying to like thinking of what the purpose of that manual was and and then how you utilized it as a, essentially a, a, a marketing sales tool. Um, you know, it is it usually meant for manufacturer industries? Oh, oh, I need, you know, XYZ part or, you know, you go through and then that's what that manual was used for. Yeah, no, keep, keep in mind, Andrew, that this was back in the you know late 80s, early 90s, and there really wasn't electronic mailing list, there wasn't electronic marketing, there wasn't all the social media today. So how did you find potential customers, prospects? How did you do that back then? Well, we used a lot of, of manual lists. And when we started, we had a, a big focus on Western Wisconsin because we felt from geographical, it wasn't it wasn't well attended by the resellers out of the metro. It wasn't well covered by the Wisconsin because most of them came out of Madison or east of Madison. So what we found is a product called the Minnesota and Wisconsin Manufacturers Register. And this this particular, and this is a book at the time, keep in mind, this is not a electronic list, it's not a CD, it's not out in the worldwide cloud world today like we think of it, it was a book. So I said, hey, let's just start going through. And the really cool thing about this book is it had, it was broken down by counties and cities and industrial parks, right? So we could go real specific to Hudson, Wisconsin, manufacturers, and right there we had them. We had size of the company, what they did, contacts, who their executives were. And what we found, um, it, it kind of it, it, this was kind of happened chance, is that a lot of those manufacturers we're starting their transition from what we talked about in one of our other origins from from the typewriter and terminal to putting PCs on the desk and starting to use some of the client server compute technologies in the manufacturing space, one of which was engineering and drawing and CAD and all that stuff. So it was just a really good reference book to help us in a lot of those Western Wisconsin towns have these business parks with manufacturers that's how we ended up there. I mean, it wasn't real well planned, but it ended up being a really well planned, well executed um, segment for CIT to grow. How did how did you find the book? Like, how did you find the the registry? Was it just like you you saw it on somebody's <laughs> desk and you're like, hey, we could use I, that? Like, I you know what I mean? To, like, I think to be honest, we found it on a client's desk. Okay. Right? And we're like, well, what is this? Right. So we started. I'm like, wow, this is a a perfect resource because we had when we first started we had a couple good manufacturing customers right so we're like that could be a huge market so how do we find all these manufacturers yeah well lo and behold here comes the the minnesota and the wisconsin manufacturers register which has exact information that we wanted okay in a printed format of book somewhere around here in the office there's still these books 
from every year because then they'd republish them every year with the new updates. Yeah. So. And and was that so you were probably out of manufacturers, you saw it on their desk. And is that mainly meant for that industry to be like, hey, I need, you know, like a part built so you can go through or like what is that? Like no, usually it, it's meant for, it's more know? of a prospecting platform. It's more oh, of a okay. marketing and prospecting. It's not really digging into what we do, what we make, how can we, it's yeah. more business information. Who are we? Where are we? How big are we? You know, who are our executives? How do you contact us? So it was much more of a a marketing product than it was anything else. I, I think when I look back at it and when I've looked at it recently, because actually I, it's funny, we're talking about this day because I just brought it up to Tara again. I said, hey, we should we should look back into that because it was a really, really good, concise resource for us to use for marketing. Yeah. What, um, did you find anything else on customer desks that, uh, you know, maybe used as a resource or? Nothing we wanted to disclose probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but you well, know what I did. Recording, right? um, so this kind of goes back to the origins, but what I did early on when I was, right, because Mark was kind of doing the technical delivery. I was doing the sales and business development. I was kind of doing it all. So what yeah. I would do is I would deliver my product out to our customers. And what I would do is I'd look around their office and I'd try to find who else was shipping boxes into there. I'd look for labels, right? So were they buying from Micro Center? Were they buying from CW? Where were they getting their gear? Because then it would help me figure out how can I chip away at that? And then I started to do that with every customer. And then as we brought on sales staff, I said, keep an eye out for who else is shipping boxes into your clients. It'll give you some pretty good insight as to who they're working with, which is awesome. So. Yeah, that's, and Kyle, did you have something similar on the, you know, technical side when you were, you know, maybe installing stuff? that you oh, yeah. we, we, like we saw stickers and... i mean so when we'd be out doing the deployment services and stuff on we provide a lot of feedback and as a technician you tend to get a lot more disclosure from the customers on kind of what's going on too so you get a lot of insight as to where things are at you're touching the gear that they're buying so you're kind of seeing what they're using and where the needs are so that helps to kind of map out greatly where we could uh, enhance or add to the offerings to go through it. Um, many of these manufacturers that uh, Chris sent us into side were, you know, they, they had some main system. They had like a AS400, they had a deck vax, you know, they had some mini, you know, mainframe system for lack of a better term that was you know, kind of a green screen system that kind of evolved through the 80s, late 70s, 80s side. That was what they were running their manufacturing systems on. So when these PCs hit the desk, we were generally plugging in, you know, a Novell server, maybe a peer to peer, but mostly a Novell server along with the PCs and then some kind of connectivity software for that mainframe. Um, was pretty much what, what happened. Um, and that just kind of evolved more and more as those mainframes kind of slowly died out and you got more and more power on the PC side. It just it transitioned where the, the ERP systems flipped over to the other side and then those ERP systems kind of died out because they obviously were expensive. Yeah. You know? Well, and then I'm sure Active Directory through Windows 
um, you know, helped with that. So you didn't have the have to have the back end of Novell to do a lot of that, right? Yeah, I mean, Active Directory didn't really show up until around you know 2000. So that was we had almost a decade. Yeah, know, before those hit, but Novell <laughs> had their um, their their directory services side of it. So Novell really invented that. Yes. Directory side. Yes. And even before that, though, just the old original Novell just had, you know, essentially created user accounts with a password. That was it. I mean, <laughs> you had some simple group permission sides that you assigned, uh, you know, shared folders and those things. So it was it was very simple, but the needs were simple. Um, yes. So it kind of met. But as it evolved, like, like technology does, it just continued to enhance and expand side with it. Um, you know, and when Novell created that replication of this directory service that allowed for replication expansion, that was purely in response to just the expansion of the of bringing those apps in. And I think Banyan Vines actually was probably the leader side originally on that side of it. Novell kind of took that, but um, there was a kind of a niche side of it. it existed on some very large enterprise called Banyan. Uh, we really didn't do anything with it because it was a pretty large scale. It didn't really fit the small market. Um, but um, that's kind of how you saw things evolve. You just kind of saw these technologies and, you you know, it was really exciting because it was kind of wild west. Things were really evolving quickly and there was a lot of evolving, I don't know, I'll say standards loosely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's things that people, manufacturers come out and say, hey, do this and you know, sometimes it sticks, sometimes it didn't. Um, sometimes it wasn't the group that brought it to market that became, you know, ultimately leader a la Microsoft. Um, you know, Microsoft is kind of the master of that. They don't necessarily invent, but they certainly enhance and bring it to market, you know, and that's kind of where it evolved out of. But um, yeah, a lot was, of times we, we talked about this and I've talked about it in the other origins is the transition from typewriter and terminals to yeah. technology, right? Because I, I kind of use that as a, even when I talk to our customers today, right? We helped with the transition from typewriter and a terminal to putting a PC and connecting it to more technology, which just started opening up more and more options for these, not only manufacturers, but it was really starting to be all of our clients to say, okay, well, you know, we used to type a letter on a typewriter and put it in the mail then we started faxing and then we, now we can do that all on a PC and then we electronic, you know, start to send and we can start to get rid of these main core, big minis and mainframes and move it out to the desktop. I mean, that was just a huge transition. And, and for some reason, manufacturers seem to jump on that faster. And I, I think a lot of it, and I don't you think this, Kyle, but I think a lot of it had to do with engineering and CAD and drawing and sharing of files and they mm -hmm. were big big needs for that. So I think manufacturing was really a good industry to start to kick that. And keep in mind, this was all, we were doing it all on site, right? We had no remote support, no remote connectivity. So not only was I going on site, dropping gear off, like Kyle said, they were going on site and installing it all, working with the clients. And like he said, the client looked at Kyle and Mark as technical advisors, not as salespeople like myself. So they tended to give them more information than they'd give me. I just had to look at boxes, try to find the labels. <laughs> um, so talking about those shifts, did you, in technology, so, you know, the term, the typewriter, um, you know, letter to like the, the terminal um, or the, and then the, you know, the desktop. Um, 
you said you kind of noticed it and like maybe the increase in the product were there other shifts that you noticed or is it more of like a looking back like oh that was a transformational like time um and and i'm just thinking about with uh i know on our other uh podcast we've talked about like ai and machine learning and um how that's being integrated into things and that i don't think it's an if it's a when that's going to change how we work um and I can see that as a shift of, okay, so we went from, you know, typewriters to, you know, desktops. Do you notice those changes when you're in those or did you notice those and how CIT could adapt um, to that change? Well, I mean, I think it's very similar to what we're going through, as you mentioned with AI, it was that big of transitional change because we, we had, you know, typing of, of letters on a typewriter and maybe you you maybe the next step was a you faxed them right you put them in a fax machine yeah. and you sent them via facsimile versus sending them in the mail but when we started to implement you know client server pc computing where we started internally sharing of files right where we could share files and start sharing some spreadsheets and sharing cad drawings things like that what changed next which i think is very similar to AI today is the 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 invention of the internet into business, right? So they could use internet as their protocol to start transferring this stuff via the big giant worldwide web out there, which eliminated faxing, which eliminated postal mailing, right? Because we really, when we started to integrate internet early on into businesses, they used it really just for sending email, right? That was the big thing they were doing. There wasn't all the browsing because we really hadn't got to the e-commerce stage yet that came you know after 2000 so early on it was now we have this pc we have these files we've been sharing internally but now we can actually share them externally to the rest of the world using the internet so i think that was a huge change and then and then came the 2000 you know not only just the y2k change but then came the e-commerce stage of what everyone was doing saying hey we can start to transact and do business on the internet huge game changer very similar to, to what's going to happen with ai machine learning and all that yeah and i can i can see that with also the documentation change where you know you're going from the typewriter but then you put e-commerce in there and then you have to have labels you have to have the po's you have to have you know all that tracking internally to say okay well, what do we do with all this information uh that we have now um on the on the education side of those newer technologies, did you have to really talk about what the capabilities or the limitations were? Um, I just think it's one of my pet peeves is <clears throat> how we attach things to emails. Um, it, email was never meant to have like giant files sent. Um, and that's as a, you know, uh, a, you know, somebody who has worked in the help desk for many years, uh, where people are trying to send, you know, gigs and gigs, and you're like, no, 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 it's not meant to do that. Um, were there any of those instances while being like, putting these new things or helping customers along uh, of educating them with, you know, the limitations? Uh, it was all relative. I mean, you got to remember, okay. these are very low graphics environments typically so um 
many of them were, you know, it was Word Perfect, for example. It wasn't Microsoft Word. It was Word Perfect and Word Star and those things. Which essentially, they weren't even, you know, ran in Windows. They ran from DOS. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, size is pretty relative. We're talking, you know, entire servers were in megabytes, not gigabytes. I mean, these yeah. are, you know, everything everything was pretty relative. So you got to really multiply it way, way down. So, yeah. I mean... We look at like uh, email attachment limit sends of you know 30 mega an attachment. I mean, there's there's ties back to original you know just data transfer times. I mean, we we thought we had a high speed connection for a customer, and we put an ISDN line in there that essentially was you know 128k um, of, of nailed up bandwidth. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, what yeah. what would seem by today's standards is is horribly painful speeds was very ample for what the needs were for the connectivity side of that. And the internet really didn't come along. I mean, again, until pr pretty late in the game on where this was changing side of it. So the initial, again, the initial change was being able to be not dependent on these larger mainframes where all their data resided. And like Chris said, you started to now have documents that all became, you know, easily more accessible easier to edit and change and reuse for ordering and templates, you know, the power of spreadsheets to be able to do calculations and then even uh, re relational databases, you know, your, your, your DB3, DB, um, DB2 stuff will basically be Microsoft Access side, Microsoft's foray into that as it went through there, kind of opened the door to self-service data that really wasn't, you know, uh, if you go back a few years for many of them, wasn't, you know, easily accessible, was very, very expensive because being a programmer in for one of these mini or, you know, mainframe stuff was very expensive. Uh, many of these manufacturers had teams. That's what they did. They had full-time employees. I mean, and that was usually who we wound up working with many times. They were the data people for these larger systems, you know, and so you're talking three, four five FTEs, you know, just to run these and manage the systems to handle the data requests. And now it starts to evolve where it becomes a little more self-service. You started to have engineers who obviously run in CAD are very, very smart. They tend to be very, you know, highly, you know, very willing to engage technology. They, um, they were fun to work with. I mean, they, they pretty much fully embraced and they were willing to try things because it was enabling so much more um, access to things they just never had. So there's, a, I think, a tremendous appreciation for the technology because it was really turned on. It is it is a liken to that AI, you know, when you have, your, where you just go, wow, you know, look at what that produced. That was a similar feeling. That's a good correlation because when you could extract these data and these reports, stuff that used to take them, you know, they'd wait months to get or they just could never obtain it to be able to get it themselves through a database or on the side, people were like, wow, this is huge. This saves me so much time. So there was just a lot of energy and enthusiasm behind that. So whenever something new would come out, you just kind of float it by them like, yeah, let's try it. You know, they were very willing to always try, you know, things as they came through and email became part of that, you know, said, oh, here's this new internet. Let's try that out, you know, and you bring well, that into the equation. And email was then on premise, right? Were you using Exchange or Novell or what? No, it was. It what was, did that look like? It originally, it was it was internal first, 
no no okay. internet side of it yeah. so you're doing some simple emails internally side through uh novell had groupwise um i forget what was it called before groupwise i was trying to remember they had a name for something i'm yeah i'll draw a blanket groupwise and then it, my talk came out with pc mail right yeah, and then there's PC mail, like Windows for Work Groups kind of had a you know integrated email kind of protocol side of these things that they'd work with. Um, you know, again, Exchange really didn't show up on the landscape until around 2000 or so. Um, you know that that showed up, and so Novell had their groupwise, and there was Lotus Notes was gaining a lot of popularity, um, and Lotus Notes had. Um, some unique, you know, more collaborative stuff. It's a more, you know, they allowed you to kind of create forms and custom data entry sites. Had some very unique aspects to it itself. Um, and Lotus was acquired by IBM, so you kind of envision, you know, IBM had, uh, you know, large enterprise stuff on it. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, and you got to remember throughout the '90s stuff, there was a lot of jockeying to kind of for what was going to kind of evolve to be the de facto system you had ibm promoting os2 originally with microsoft and the microsoft abandoning that and you still had ibm promoting os2 as the graphical you had you had you had apple out there with their macintosh gui and then you had you know microsoft kind of quickly trying to get windows jockeyed into place stuff on it um you know i think dos being the predominant side of it you know microsoft kind of by securing the dos side had a bit of you know had a had to step up on everybody's side with that. But, you know, there's still a you know a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of jockeying on where that was going to go. So people were, you kind of had people getting into camps on which technology they liked. You know, it's nowadays that's that's pretty agnostic, right? We don't spend a lot of time worrying about that as much because it's so web-based, but it's in, interesting times through that. It was fun. It was actually a lot of fun because you could really experiment with a lot of different things. You could really see everything and who offered what and how and yeah. Uh, okay. The other thing to understand, Andrew, when you talk about you know files and attaching and size and and you know how big they are, back then, remember we were most of this was just text, right? There was no graphics yet. Yeah. The marketing yeah. departments weren't creating all these big giant graphical multicolored because not only <laughs> was it text, it was in amber or green. Right, two two colors. So yeah. it was really, if if you think, I, I always go back to the typewriter and the terminal. Well, all we were doing is really scraping that text from the typewriter and from the terminal and putting it onto a PC and putting it into an electronic document. But those documents were very very text. I mean, there was no logo on them, there was no graphics on them, there was no color on them. We were sending yeah. black and white text documents. So it was very, very simple, right? So as as performance and speed and, and size of the networks increased, so did marketing and putting all the fancy stuff into all these documents. So did the engineers with all these big 3D files. So it all kind of moved and, and grew together as the technology grew, it grew along with it, right? So it was an interesting transition because it, the GUI interface, didn't really exist when we started, right? Like Kyle said, it was all DOS based, it was text based, right? We didn't have a GUI interface. They were like, what's a GUI? You know, the, the, yeah. a lot of people don't remember we didn't have this Windows GUI interfaces before, right? We started as text command line. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I, I think about that sometimes working in working in the terminal where it's just like, you know, some work at, you know, for university work. And it's just like you had to do everything through the terminal. And you're just like, I just want to just take my mouse and click. And you can't couldn't do that. You know, no, there was um, no mouse. <laughs> yeah, there, there wasn't a mouse. There was no mouse. Yeah. Well, well, even their initial versions of Windows, they ran on top of DOS. I mean, you literally started at the command prompt, you oh, type yeah. Win, and then it loaded the Windows interface. I mean, it was really just a DOS app. On top. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know, we spent many years doing that. I mean, it would, and the Windows would crash because you run out of memory because DOS used 640K. I mean, that was DOS's That's, memory yeah. usage. I mean, think about that. I mean... That's tiny, um, and it was uh, it was it was it was fun times. I mean, going through those. Um, the other piece that kind of occurred through there, side so just to note, is the use of those online services. The CompuServe's, the AOLs, really evolved through that '90s side of those, and we did use um, specifically a lot of times around support. We used a lot of CompuServe. Um, CompuServe's where Norvell's sports forums were. That's where Microsoft supports forums were because they didn't have websites at the time. There was no website. So you didn't, so that the, the, the knowledge base for help on those was on the CompuServe forum. So we'd have to get on our modems, dial up into the CompuServe, go log into those forums and search those forums. That's where we got updated drivers for the network cards and all those things. That's, and that's where you converse with other folks in your industry side of it. So your first social networks really evolved out of what these CompuServe forums, AOL forums stuff, that was social networking. We were doing that in the 90s. It was just, just didn't call it that. But, um, you know, that's that's how we conversed and helped troubleshoot. You'd post things out there saying this is, I can't figure this out. Do you guys, anybody have any suggestions or have you seen this? And you get responses to it. Um, you know, so it there was there was access there, but that was you know that was an invaluable tool for us engineering wise. CompuServe was we spent a lot of time on that. Um, I know we're we're running up on time, uh, but um, did did you see difference? So I think of the the big Apple two E push that they had in schools, um, and it's you know it, it was a huge push to get that into schools and they did that did you see differences in industries if you were in manufacturing did they have a different like they liked you know ibm or you know windows or dos or whatever versus like a like a school um or uh you know a, a retail or or anything like that Oh, yeah, we definitely, we, I'd say we definitely did because you predominantly would, we correlate the schools to Apple products, yep. um, as you mentioned, uh, whether it's those, um, if they were heavy in design or they were marketing, they were Macintosh. Um, and they generally ran local talk, which was my, uh, Mac's, you know, or Apple talk side of it. It was their custom networking protocol of kind of peer to peer sharing within Macs. And then we had, um, you know, if the customer was running AS400, they were, we'd say they're, they they have an IBM rep, they're pro IBM. So, you know, we may, for example, we'd find that they'd have an AS400, they may wind up with Lotus Notes, for example, Okay. versus, you know, so they would be very much getting a lot of 
information from their IBM side of it. Because the IT director, again, probably came from that mainframe or, you know, AS400 background. Yep. So, and they were always described to say, I never got fired for buying IBM, right? Nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. That was very, very common. So, you know, that IT director would buy Lotus Notes. They would buy, you know, IBM servers. They would, you know, they'd buy yeah. IBM gear. Unlike today, the devices back then were much more purpose-driven, right? It was, you know, education in Apple and manufacturing was typically more, you know, Windows and, and PC-based, right? Because the applications were driving more of that. Today, it's, you know, really an endpoint device that we really, it doesn't necessarily matter. You can do most everything cross-platform, but back in the early days, it was really purpose-driven devices, right? What do you... You know, like Kyle said, if you're in the marketing and you're in the graphical and you're in the design or you're in education, you know, a lot more Apple Mac based product platform. Right. And they were they were not as easy to integrate into the rest of the business space, the mainframe space and, you know, the server space back then. Today, it's very open, yeah. open platform. I mean, a lot of that has to do with when, when Apple kind of embraced. Microsoft, they started to partner more and we moved some of those applications that were traditionally all PC Windows based to run on the Mac OS it was a huge game changer and made yeah. really the device device agnostic to some degree. Yeah. And when I got called in to integrate a Mac into the Nobel network. That was a bad day. That I was going to, that, that, that usually sucked. That was, yeah, really I, good that was going to be my next question of, uh, you know, Chris on the sales side and, and Kyle on the technical side, did you have a preference <laughs> either, you know, uh, if it was, you know, you made a better margin or it was easier to sell the IBM, as you said, nobody, no one ever got fired for buying IBM uh, or Kyle, if you're like, oh man, I do not want to work on, you know, this network today because I know it's going to be, uh, you know, a bear and a half. I mean, from a technical side, I was always, I, I worked on whatever. I mean, I okay. I worked on all this. I mean, I was able to kind of always willing to take on a challenge to go through it, but I just knew yeah. you were very limited on what Apple was embracing as far as Apple was a very locked ecosystem. So trying to get them connected again, you just knew the results to the customer are probably not going to be what they're looking for. So you, you and uh Again, have to set those to, expectations right away. I'm just being like, we're gonna do say, as much hey, as I can. <laughs> yeah, we'll do as much as you can. You know, we'll 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 find out how to get this to work to the best of our ability side of that. And it was always a fun challenge. I mean, I did some OS2 connectivity, I did Mac connectivity, I did, you know, the Windows still had DOS. So you kind of a little bit of everything, but I always kept an all mind well and take on the challenge to go through that side of it. As long as the customer kind of understood again. It was all new. So there wasn't like, you know, there was somebody out there that had 10 years experience with it. it didn't exist. <laughs> Stuff yeah. had been out there for a one or two years. There's very few people. It's just like everything was kind of okay, we'll give it a shot. Um, and see what we find yeah. out. And to tie back to your manufacturing, you know, kind of how you started this, Andrew, the manufacturing space was very, very heavy PC based, right? It really, it really was more it, there again, it was that purpose built, right? The PC plugged in, you know, played with other platforms well, it was an easy transition. But we always had those outliers that say, well, you know, we've got this other device. Most of the time it was some Apple-based, Mac-based, some off, you know, off-brand product that we had to try to integrate in. And, and you could do it, but you had to do a lot of workarounds in order to make it function. 
like the purpose-built device, which was kind of defaulted to the PC in the manufacturer space, right? Because then we ran into it with engineering, ran into it with marketing and, and design and graphics. So we had to start figuring out how do we how do we integrate these platforms better? You know, and today, like I said, you know, it's, we're pretty much device agnostic. It doesn't really matter what the end user wants. We can make it work and the applications are such that they work cross-platform. Yeah. But it wasn't always the case back in the early days. Yeah, when yeah. I think well, about I remember, it, I, think... I remember IBM doing some dedicated OS2 machines for some of those. Again, because OS2 was being promoted by IBM, they actually have you know software solutions that were marketed in specifically around, say, like label printing or civic function sides of it, because OS2 was the first truly multitasking operating system you get. So they could actually have two processes run at the same time, which, you know, you couldn't do that with, with Windows. You can only do one thing. That was all it could do. You, it, it task swapped. It did not multitask. OS2 Warp could. So you want to put this OS2 Warp machine on the manufacturing floor, and they needed to pull some data off of it to talk to it. So we had to network it. We had to figure out how to network this OS2 machine. Which again, it's like speaking, you know, Spanish and English. I mean, similar, but it's different. You know, it's inherently different. You know, so you had to kind of learn two languages there. Well, and then all the networking side was, you know, learning on the job, right, Kyle? Like it yeah. was, you know, like okay, here's how we build a network and you know, architect it and put it all together because you know. We can go in on a, you know, I, uh, in another one uh, on a more technical side if we wanted to, um, because like I even, you know, it was probably over 10 years ago when I was at university, but we still learned about ring networks versus star networks and how those are just internal architectures of how to build an internal network when now it's like you buy a switch and you just plug everything in, right? It's, it, you don't really have that technical side anymore. Um, yeah, we didn't always have ethernet as a standard. Yeah, <laughs> we had a lot of <laughs> We that. forget that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, it, had, yeah. we had customers, again, the IBM customers had Token Ring. Um, yeah, Token, and token Ring, Ring yes. had four meg, and then they had eight, 16 meg, you know, so they were different. And then you had uh, coaxial ethernet, you had thick ethernet on some of these, and then you had the versions of, you know, 10 base T for twisted pair, and you even yes. have some deviance from that because pre-standard. So yeah, it was yeah. it was a wild west of, and we'd have customers that have multiples of the same technology running in there. So it was interesting. Oh, a whole maybe. other topic, Andrew. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, maybe, say. That's, <laughs> maybe that's version four. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's the next the one. The infrastructure changes of the last 35 years. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, as we kind of uh, finish up here, um, my closing question is, on a little bit higher level, when you're thinking about CIT back in the day, you know, going into those manufacturing, having those conversations in CIT today, um, are you, are the conversations similar? Are you still solving the, um, similar problems, different technology, but for manufacturing kind of back then and now, uh, what are you sort of seeing or has it changed? Well, I mean, I think they're still doing the same thing at the end of the day. They're still, they're still manufacturing, making widgets. I think we've just taken what was 35 years ago, much more manual processing and moved it to electronic processing 
which has pushed all this technology, all the devices, all the connectivity. It's pushed everything, right? But at the end of the day, we're still solving the exact same problem. We're just doing it with a lot different tool set, software set, devices, much more efficient, right? We'll call it because we can multitask and we can do more. Um, but it, it, I mean, we're, they're still making the same thing as, as they mm -hmm. were 35 years ago. They're using technology much differently to do it. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, and and very similar. We're still still looking at what they're trying to accomplish and then finding newer and better ways for technology to augment and help improve those processes and, and how they do it, you know. And again, when you talk about AI and those things, that's kind of, you know, a good correlation of what that could potentially do to increase efficiencies of how they manufacture and provide their 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 products to the to the market. I think that's again, same end game as Chris mentioned. It's just, you know, we're just doing it with newer and better technologies as it evolved. And that's kind of what we were doing back then. Um, things are a lot faster, of course. Um, and I think the impacts are even bigger on where they go, but uh, same, same idea. Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you, um, Chris, Kyle, and Andrew for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, like, subscribe, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can contact us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.